We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. I'm Dan Hilton from the Barcelona team here in NYC, and I am joined across the ocean by Frances Tomas, as seen in ESPN and Barcelona.com, but currently operating out of London. You can follow our show with the show notes at tvpod.link backslash 34. Yep, this is the 34th show of the Barcelona Podcast. Again, Frances, what topics are we going to talk today? But I guess before you tell us that, we have a jam-packed show, but I think you want to thank our Patreons before we get into what we're going to talk about. Yes, I do, because they're awesome and they make this show possible. Thank you to Fernando, Magdi, and Jeremy, who have become new patrons this week. Um, we, As I said, we couldn't do the show without you. You help us with, um, with everything, um, and, and you give us encouragement to continue to doing this, because we are here for you. Uh, this is our hobby and to have someone sort of willing to help us in that way, it really, we are humbled. You know, we are really, truly humbled. Um, they went to tvpod.link forward slash Patreon. That is tvpod.link forward slash Patreon to support the show. Uh, we are forever grateful and we may even sing a song for you if you ask us to, but they haven't done that yet. So there's no songs today. In episode 34, we're going to focus on Dembele's injury and the consequences that he may bring for Ernesto Valverde and his team. We're going to review the Getafe game and do a little preview about the Eibar game, which is going to be played shortly. Um, then we're going to be talking about different mini topics, such as Johan Cruyff Stadium, the vote of no confidence that Benedito is still trying to sort of push forward. And then my favorite part of the show, which is having some time for our listener questions. The Barcelona Podcast 34 starts right here. As much as we want to stick our heads in the sand and not ever talk about the Dembele injury, or I think it's like an ostrich, isn't that the animal that sticks its head in the sand? That's right. Right. Well, as much as I would love to do that about Dembele, you already saw against Juventus, he got the start, and getting the start against Hedafe, he was being thrown right into the fire and getting the start, but the official news for everyone who's probably keen and aware Three and a half to four months, Dembele will be out with what, and this is even translated from Catalan, it's a tendon of the, a rupture of the tendon of the biceps femoris of the left leg, which kind of translates to a, a basically a rupture of a tendon in his left leg, higher near the hamstring, but not exactly the hamstring, it's a tendon, 
Um, nevertheless, he's going to be having surgery next Tuesday with Dr. Sakari Orava, also called one of those miracle doctors, in Finland. And a lot of the different questions that are being asked, and I'm actually going to read, going to flip the show on its head, Frances, and we're going to read some of the listener questions first. And then, because that's a lot of what we got this week from our listeners, was asking about Dembele and asking what that meant for the team. So that's going to be what we're going to answer today. So just in order, Matthew Lazardi asked, can you touch on the fact that it seems like the Dembele injury was known about well before the match? Images from training are concerning. Ray Asagueda asked us, picture of him in training 10 days ago. Shows him rubbing the same leg in the same area. Hoping this isn't a screw-up by the medical staff. Arsacio, Dembele out is a huge blow up to Delafeu now, but what, is De- what if Delafeu gets injured and doesn't perform? What should be our plan B? On Facebook, Namus asked who is going to replace Dembele. Christo asked, with Dembele out for around four months, what's plan B? Delafeu has been okay. Will Valverde go with him or try a different system? And Jacob asked if Valverde is going to put Denis into the squad after a good game versus Hadafe and Dembele's injury, or is he better when coming off the bench? So as you can hear, we have had plenty of listener questions, all related to the big, big question of Dembele. And when you have a guy that was signed so late, you look like the club was going to have to go on without him. Well, now the club is going to have to go on without him after the what could be 145 million euro transfer from Borussia Dortmund is now going to be out indefinitely. So uh, the last little piece of information to be known, as you kind of alluded to in some of the listener questions, apparently there's a picture from a September 7th training session where he's rubbing that area and he seems to be having an issue with it. So the big first question to ask Frances before we talk about the plan B and what happens as far as personnel Did Barcelona push him too far and push him too quickly back to fitness? I think it's easy to say in hindsight the answer is yes, but if he had fitness, you have to trust your medical staff, right? You do, but I think having played, I play football all my life. I can't claim to have been professional or anything like that, but I've got a good 17, 18 years of experience playing football. And for better or worse, um, I always got hamstring and, and different muscular injuries. And I think it comes with with um, experience you know you get to know your body you get to know the symptoms you sort of know right if I sort of accelerate here this may pull and I remember throughout the later stages of my career I started sort of learning what to do and what not to do and I think as far you know hindsight is a great privilege to have Uh, we can blame the medical staff we can say that Valverde played in too much too early you can say all you want but at the end of the day, you have to trust what the player thinks. And if the player thinks that he's ready to, to play, you have to trust his judgment. I think for me, what it is, is that inability to recognize the symptoms that as a mature player or a player with plenty of experience, you get to have. And I don't think Dembele had it in this in this occasion. Um, I really think that because he's fast and his game is very physical, um, you, you have to know what you can and cannot do. It was a very risky move to make. You know, it was a really sort of weird, unusual back heel that he was trying to do um, next to the Getafe byline. And I think that, you know, it's it's unlucky. It's obviously it's unlucky, but I think it's all about knowing your body and, and knowing your limitations. If you think back when Guardiola was with us, I don't know if our listeners remember that um, he got really, really annoyed with Alexis Sanchez during his first season at the Camp Nou. And uh, he said, oh, like, and I'm not going to say the word, but it starts with a C. And if you can't speak Spanish, you know which one that is. Um, so, la, mm, de tu madre, Alexis. That is because 
basically it, the same the same instance that happened to Dembélé happened to Alexis all those years ago. They really want to please. They're eager to take the opportunity, and that's what Dembélé has been waiting all summer to do. And then you know they're just sort of rushing into it, but not not being rushed. But them themselves not wanting to say actually I need to stop right here right now. And yeah, so I think it's a combination of all of the factors that I've discussed. And long story cut short, we are going to have to live without him. And I think we've got enough depth in the squad to do that. But obviously, when you've invested so heavily on a player, you want him to be there, you know, to make the team better. Being so young, I think a positive could be that he can come back quickly and your body recovers a lot easier. But it makes me think of in the sport of basketball, when you have a seven-footer who has a foot injury... And even if that occurs at a young age, that always, for the rest of their career, always seems to plague them. Being, again, a seven-footer, you have all that weight on the foot. So it's, it's a little simpler of an example. But you look at Messi, or you, you, you mentioned the other name, Alexi Sanchez. A lot of the guys that have had hamstring and injuries similar to this with the tendon in the, le- in the upper leg, those seem to be reoccurring injuries throughout their career. So my hope is that he's young enough and that the surgery is successful enough and that it's taken enough time to rest and get healthy and be at 100% so that this doesn't become something that plagues him for his career because obviously being so young, you'd hope that he's at Barcelona for the next 10 to 12 years. And so instead of harping on the Dembele injury, we're going to just hope for a speedy recovery, a little bit of transparency. I may be in the U.S., but I'm planning on going to Barcelona and seeing the team in the beginning of December. So for me personally, I was gutted that I that it's pretty much a certainty that I won't be able to see Dembele in action. But... I'm excited to see some of the other players. And, of course, the number one on the list is Gerard Delafeu. That's no secret. When he came in against Hitafe after Dembele went down in the first half of that game, Messi had uh, reportedly went over to him and kind of said, play farther on the right so that we can have a more a better defensive presence on the right. And not only that, but he also wanted to give Jordi Alba all the space he had to operate on that left side to push those wingbacks forward. And so with the Dembele, who's able to stretch wide and play that touchline, but then cut in, Delafeu is not a like-for-like replacement because Dembele is a little shiftier in certain areas, but Delafeu is much more direct in those one-on-ones. That's much more his bread and butter, even though Dembele does the same thing. Delafeu is less of a finished product as well, but Delafeu has shown early and well in the preseason and in the time he's had, but now it's time for Dembele to take one more step forward, it appears. Yeah, I agree. I also think that Denis Suarez could be an option as well. Um, I strongly believe that he, with confidence, can become a key player at Barca, particularly during this stint. Um, I agree with you that Deulofeu seems to be the obvious choice because of his positioning and the fact that he's played as a winger pretty much throughout his whole career, but I think Denis Suarez especially the way that he came in during the Getafe game in the second half to change it, he does have a chance as well. Also, um, Alex Vidal, he's a little bit of um, X-Files, a little bit of a... right now, because he has disappeared from the squad and he's nowhere to be seen. But obviously he played as a winger in his previous clubs, so Sevilla and Almeria, and he was actually pretty decent. So there is a chance that he could be an option as well. Um, and Valverde has actually said that in the press conference. He mentioned the Lufeo, Vidal, and Denis Suarez. But what I found really, really interesting is that despite not having Dembélé for the next four months, he did not mention Alcácer or Rafinha or Arda as an option to replace him. 
and that is really, really telling, particularly with Alcácer, you know, because he's a forward. And if you're not going to consider Alcácer as a replacement for a winger, then what do you need him for? You really don't need him at all. Um, Rafinha obviously is injured, but, you know, we can't, re- we can't forget the fact that Arda is now recovered and he's still not making the team, not, not making the team, not even making the squad in order to play. So, yeah, really, really weird down there. Uh, that Deulofeu with Alan Dennis are the, seem to be the only options that um, Valverde is considering right now. Really, really puzzling. Well, I would say for Rafinha, the easy answer is that his knee has not yet recovered. It's been official, released by the club, that basically if it doesn't recover soon, they're going to have to do another surgery, which will keep him out for uh, many more months. So the always injury prone Rafinha just can't seem to get healthy because to me, from what he's shown in the past... I think he's the natural fit. So I, I think to maximize what each player does well on the squad, Rafinha, I think, would be the starter out on the wing. And then Delafeu, who's been that super sub his whole career and has done well as that player who comes on 25 minutes with a lot of legs and goes right at a defense, that's where Delafeu fits best. And then Denise Suarez, as he showed against Hatafe, not only with the goal, but in even the four games he's played where he had played in the preseason on the wing and the time that he's seen on the field, I think his natural position is in the middle of the park and that's where he excels the best. And for me, I was, I thought the time that he came in off that bench was the best pound per pound minute per minute performance that Denise Suarez has shown in a Barcelona uniform. And so I would hope that going forward, he can stay in the middle of the park, but as you had mentioned and alluded to in that press conference, Valverde is saying that it makes more sense to put him out on the wing now. So the question then is going to be, while De La was a natural, and you saw in the preseason that he's going to be the starter, Denise Suarez probably makes more sense to have as a starter just to, as a starter to maximize what De La does. And for Paco there, I think that's another thing where once they shifted to that false nine with Messi, Paco there, who really is just an out-and-out number nine, while he doesn't have a lot of speed, he's that guy who just gets in the box and makes those short little runs near the penalty box. And so having him out on a wing, and particularly the way that you have those players, having Suarez and Alcacer and Messi all on the field at the same time, it seems like you have three different guys who just prefer to be right in the middle of that penalty box. Strategically, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have all those guys together. So I think he sees Alcacer as continuing to be a backup striker option in the middle coming in either for Luis Suarez or even Messi in the rare occasion that Messi will take a seat on the bench and as you had talked about Ardisharan just coming back from injury isn't he's far down the depth chart and so I think another question I was kind of posing on Twitter and I'm glad we got some of the listener reaction we did appreciate the the feedback is for Copa del Rey matches and when that picks up as well that's where I think Valverde is going to start to get into Barcelona B and the youth academy and that's when you're not necessarily seeing them on the field but you might see some of those youth academy players make the bench whether it's um, David Concha on loan from Real Sociedad, Jose Men, Joao Arnaz, the 22 year old winger that was brought over from the Segunda Division and strikers Mark Cardona who made the bench last season for Copa del Rey and then the new Honduran Anthony Lozano who's in his mid-20s but he's been brought in to help Barcelona B navigate the Segunda Division. We could see any of those but I think for Kules around the world who want Lemezia products to star, they want to. They most likely are going to want to see the teenagers in Carlos Perez and Abel Ruiz, who both have been in the 
UEFA Youth League. They won one nothing against Juventus in the, on the same match day that Bar- Barcelona's A team beat Juventus three nothing. And Alba Ruiz, the seventeen year old, he's being hyped with all this praise. And as I said a few weeks ago on a few shows ago, that he's that kind of next in line. Now, Carlos Eleni is still not in the first team, so he is the heir apparent. I think Carlos Eleni is at a point where he's a can't-miss guy, and Valverde is going to have to slowly integrate him in the team. But Albert Ruiz is that new name for kool to learn as a guy that could potentially be a first-team option down the road. Be patient with him, but boy, oh boy, would kool love it if Valverde found a spot for him on the bench in one of those Copa del Rey matches. Yeah, and I think that's the plan. I think the plan is to have Delufeo and Dennis trying to, you know, either one or the other, um, I think 60 minutes to 30 minutes within within a match, um, covering up the Dembele absence. And then, of course, um, in team, against teams of less importance and definitely during Copa del Rey, giving the Barca B team, sort of the stars of the Barca B team, really, um, a chance to shine. I think Barca B are doing really well in Segunda División. They are close enough to the top of the table. Alenia seems to be scoring for fun. And yeah, I think the signings that Barca have made have made the team even stronger. And even though they are in a new category, they continue to do particularly well against sort of the more experienced sides, the most mature sides. And yeah, they, they definitely have got enough within their legs and in, in terms of talent to make it into the Barca team whenever it's needed. And La Copa del Rey would be the ideal occasion to do that. To be exact, Barcelona B sit currently 7th in the Segunda Division with two wins, two draws, and one loss. That also has included a 4 nothing domination of Cordoba. And the last match that you're referring to, Frances Alenia had an 88th-minute goal that knotted it up with Alcorcón 1-1. to So that helped Barcelona B continue a pretty good start to their season. But somehow, Frances, we got all the way through this show already almost about 15, 16 minutes in without talking about the game that has just happened in Hadafe that is probably a forgettable game but had some silver linings, if you will, with the goals being scored by Denise Suarez and Paulinho, the two second-half subs with Delefeu, of course, the first-half sub coming on for Dembele. So Barcelona win 2-1. As you know, Ernesto Valverde, probably the real winner because he's the one who selected the second-half substitutes that he did, and they're the ones that really shown well and good form and seemed to be able to pick up a Barcelona squad that just looked maligned and slow against Hadafe, who all credit to Hadafe as well. They came out ready to go. They had the support of all those fans in Madrid. And so, of course, every fan in Madrid wants Barcelona to get knocked down a notch. And yet Hadafe, after all of it, we even had a poll on our Twitter page where our listeners voted Samuel Umtiti as the man of the match over Suarez, Polino, and Messi. And who scored actually said Messi was the man of the match with an assist, three shots, one key pass, and six dribbles. So after all that, I think when you have a difficult game where it takes a long time to break down a defense, Frances, do you find yourself being positive about the defense? Or is it, let's look at what could be done better in the first 60 minutes of the game before you need Paulinho to save you? Yeah, agreed. I think that Valverde took action and he made sure that um, a game that, let's face it, last season would have been never a victory, so it probably would have been a draw if that uh, was turned into into a huge success. And I'm talking about a huge success in terms of points. Uh, we are now 100% still unbeaten record. We've got 12 points out of a possible 12. Um, the game was hard. The game was tough. Uh, it was a very ugly game in itself. It was a terrible looking victory, but it's worth three points. We didn't play brilliantly, 
But, you know, that's, that's what it is. In, if you want to win the title at the end of the day, you need to be winning these sort of matches. Um, obviously, beating Madrid and Sevilla and Atletico and Valencia and, and teams like that is always going to have um, a huge weight as to whether you retain, or in this case, regain La Liga, the La Liga title. But it is in Getafe, Leganés, uh, Anoeta in San Sebastián, against Real Sociedad, those are the teams that you need to beat in order to, to be successful. And, and I am delighted for the win. The game was not pretty, though. But you need to remember that whenever you've got substitutes coming in and scoring goals, whenever you're able to grab the three points after basically having a terrible first half in which the team was hugely predictable, uh, very slow, the ball wasn't flowing. Um, at times, I felt... Uh, key players in the Barca squad were being quite passive, um, no clear chances or very few clear chances were created um, and still coming away with three points. That That is great. The second half was better. I thought the pace accelerated. The, the team was more dynamic. Um, the inclusion of Dennis and Paulinho added more, more incisive runs, far more depth and it was much more emphasis on the midfield to build in order to move to move and push forward. I am delighted with the three points, but this was not a good game <laughs> in any shape or form. But, you know, we have to take it. This is a team under construction. This is a team that hasn't necessarily um, encountered this sort of difficulty this season yet, obviously, going back to La Supercopa. But ever since that point, we really haven't done that. And I am very pleased that we're 12 out of 12 in La Liga. And Charlie asked us, and plenty of thanks to Charlie for constantly being a part of the Barcelona com podcast community and asking the questions he did. Has Paulinho got the fitness to start? And that's a really good question, Charlie, and a good point because we haven't seen him for more than 30 minutes so far, and you kind of wonder if he'd be exposed if he's given a start in more time because that's where we've seen him struggle in the past. I think the interesting thing to think about with Paulinho is... Being a 29-year-old, his birthday's in July, so we won't be 30 for a little bit, but being a 29-year-old, we've seen the ebbs and flows of his career where he started in, po in Poland. Well, he started in Brazil, obviously, at the youth level, but then goes to Portland as a 20-year-old where he makes 17 league appearances, then heads back to Brazil where he has some success, enough where Tottenham of the English Premier League decides to take a chance on him after he impressed with Corinthians, of course, a major club in Brazil. Of course, doesn't do well at Tottenham. Heads to China for now about three seasons and seemed since then to have reinvented himself, finds his way back in the Brazilian national team where he's succeeding. And Paulinho, as I had said a few months ago, that we saw for the Brazilian national team is the one that we saw in that 25-minute appearance against Hadafe and the one we've seen so far. It's one that he's direct with his touches. His first touch is good. His positioning is good, both defensively and offensively. He seems to be able to support the attack while also having the movement and the work rate and the ability to move around the field very freely. Again, we thought he was going to be a defensive midfielder, but Valverde looked at his appearances for the Brazil national team, apparently, and says wherever he's playing there is where we want to get the best out of him, and that's where he's played in his sub-appearances. And another thing I want to say is that while his career so far has been seen a failure because of what happened at Tottenham, by and large, Parlino has had more good seasons than bad other than those at Tottenham. And another thing I would say is that with the Premier League, and there's been a lot of research and books and things written about by the soccer academics in the world about the fact that when you take 
And this makes a lot of sense. When you take a Brazilian player who speaks Portuguese and maybe doesn't have necessarily a good grasp or a full grasp of the English language and customs, and you ship them from South America all the way up to the UK, you throw them into the the bright-lighted, high-pressure world of the Premier League, foreign players, particularly those from Brazil, have a track record of struggling. And so sometimes that's why you see a Brazilian player jump to La Liga first and then find their footing in Europe and then move on. Same thing with the Serie A, where you have Brazilians, or even in Ukraine, where Shakhtar Donetsk has a, a, a slew of Brazilian players who, again, find their footing make their name at those clubs, not in the UK, and then they make the transition. And that's why you'll see a lot of that happening. I mean, we can still be angry with the board about the price and age of the player and the risk that it was in signing him. But I think, again, as fans of the club and as supporters of the club, it's not, as we had mentioned, Paulinho's fault that he was given this dream move. But it's now the time to say, well, I guess we can trust him. And I I think for me, I've been won over. Yeah, I think I think Paulinho can be trusted, and I really do think that he will last the game without a doubt. Um, he was, in a way, halfway through the season in China, so this is a guy that has done preseason and a good chunk of games, and is now joining Barca when everyone else is sort of um, starting the season now. Professional teams, um, normally, it depends on what sort of team you are, but if you're a team that's normally fighting for, say, relegation or not being relegated then you tend to take a lot of weight and a lot of sort of preparation in the preseason so that when the Liga starts, you've got, you're at your peak in terms of fitness and you get a lot of, a lot of points at the beginning of the season. That is uh, how Deportivo used to do it. That is how Espanol has been doing it. Uh, not necessarily in the last couple of seasons, but historically they've done that. So that, and Celta as well, to teams like that, for example, Sevilla last year. And what it is, you just put a lot of work um, in preseason and you start at a level of fitness that no bigger teams for example Barca or Madrid don't have because when Barca do they do more sort of in-depth training but they seem to stagger it so that Barca and Madrid or the bigger teams in Europe and teams that are challenging for titles they tend to peak when it gets to around April and May but that is not the case with every single team as, as I just explained so Paulinho has been thrown in the middle of a pre-season when his fitness his personal individual fitness was further ahead so in a way he's at the peak of of his season and he can definitely do a job for us I think that his dynamism energy and control is going to be a great addition obviously we weren't great fans of him um, of his signing during the summer but as you mentioned once the player is with us we need to do all we can to support him and we have to say that he was instrumental in order to add um, to the team, and obviously he was decisive for the for the victory that Barca achieved in Getafe. So before we move on, we've already mentioned Denis Suarez, Paulinho, and some of those players that had big impacts against Getafe. But Frances, I even forgot to ask you about your five stars. I'd like to hear what those are. Yeah, and I felt left out, Dan. I, I've got sort of tears rolling down my face on here. Um, well, let's get going. So one star goes to Gerard de Rufeu. I thought that, as Dan said earlier, he was instrumental from the right wing. He obviously didn't expect to be playing so early in the game. And in a way, he personally, personally may not be too disappointed. But, you know, as Barca fans really are, I thought that from the moment he jumped on the pitch, he was eager to impress. He was showing his talent and had a big role to play in the game. And I thought that he was instrumental in order to, to Barcelona's sort of revival in the second half particularly. With two stars, we're moving on to Lionel Messi. 
he got 13% of the votes in a Twitter poll, and I certainly agree. Um, as Dan said earlier, one one assist, three shots, one key passes, and six dribbles. It was certainly not his best game, but he's Lionel Andres Messi. You know, he's always going to be influential, and although he wasn't the star of the show this time round, his eagerness to get involved and, and his sort of decisive effort to always put the team on his shoulders was greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, let's move on to the three stars. Three stars go to Denis Suarez. Denis got 27% of the votes in a Twitter poll um, as well. I thought that Denis was trying to make things happen from the very beginning. He injected that much-needed degree of energy that Barca had been lacking in the first half. He scored Barca's first, and in a way, he is the one that make, made sure that Barca's comeback and eventually the three points were possible. So he started and paved the way for the remontada, and we are very, very, very impressed with that. Um, with four stars, I'm going to be a little bit um, controversial here. I'm going to put Paulinho. I'm not going to put Paulinho with the five stars. Um, he got 25% of the votes in a Twitter poll. Um, as we've been mentioning, his physical presence um, was was what changed the game in a way. He was a perfect addition and, and Valverde was definitely, definitely on the right tracks in order to, to add him to the team. He controlled the ball fantastically before scoring his goal. He's racked off rivals. He had a confident strike that ultimately brought the three points back to Catalonia. And um, yeah, I don't know if it's too late now to say sorry, as Justin Bieber says, but yeah, very, very impressed with Paulinho's influence in this game. And finally, with the five stars, so our man of the match from the Barcelona podcast goes to Samuel Untiti with 35% of the Twitter poll votes. He was immense. You know, I thought Piquet was unfocused at times and he, it's not that he looked disinterested, but in a couple of times he wasn't as, say, convincing or, or aggressive or influential as he needed to have been but Untiti was always ready to come to the rescue I, th- I really do think that he's growing as a defensive leader and partnering with Piquet when Piquet has a fantastic game that is a great great partnership in the center of, of defense which in turn is keeping Mascherano out of the loop uh, for much more consistent time than we actually anticipated but yeah that's my five stars for for the game and yeah, let's move forward to the Eibar game now. Yeah, so with that Eibar game, you talked about Umtiti. He gets a much needed rest as the squad list has obviously, with the match a few hours away, already been released. Digne, Vidal, and Vermelian are in the squad. There's no Umtiti, who obviously is get, gets rest. Taco Akather, who just gets our heads being scratched. Andre Gomez as well, not mentioned in the squad, so that's an interesting note. And Arda Turan obviously has yet to find himself a place in the squad having just come back from injury. I'll quickly just preview Ibar, where Barcelona are putting a five-game win streak on the line, sitting alone, as you had mentioned, atop the table with 12 points. Coming off that one nothing home win, however, over Leganas, Ibar is in okay form, two wins, two losses to start the season, has him in 13th place. But last year, you remember, they finished 10th in the table, and they returned the foundation and backbone of that squad, La Liga fans will remember Sergi Enrique and Pedro Leon, who's currently out with injury, so he won't feature, but they returned after leading the team with 10 goals. Defensive midfielder Jean Jordan is the name to know. He's the new name from last year's Ibar team. He's come over from Espanyol, so obviously he's someone that La Liga fans would also know, having played a lot of his career in Barcelona. 
And then the Brazilian striker Charles has come over from Malaga, who again, La Liga fans would know well. He's an experienced player around La Liga. And then their main cog is their captain and their midfield leader in 27-year-old Danny Garcia. So that's basically the core of Ibar and a lot of the big names that we'll see from the team from the Basque country. But other than that, Barcelona, this I think is going to be a very similar game to Hadafe, Frances. I think they're going to be a defensive team that's going to be a little more difficult to break down, but... Barcelona does have the talent and the ingenuity to do that. So with that rotation, a big question, does Barcelona go with a double pivot? And Blessed Joabu asked us, what's the story with Maché? Is he in line to join the coaching staff? And of course, that's a little bit of a jab, a light jab at the fact that Mascherano has not appeared in four straight games. But with Marlon Santos having been sat on loan, he's still clearly the third choice center back, particularly on the right side. But with him TD out, it's, Mascher- it's Mascherano who steps in, not Vermeulen, I would assume. Um, but for, for Mascherano, he could also play as a double pivot as well. And that's what I've already said that we could see the Argentine. So it's going to be a question on how Barcelona want to line up in this one. Um, I want to say thank you to um, Blessed Webber for continuously um, liking and replying to our posts. He's one of our sort of older, not necessarily in terms of mature, but sort of long-lasting fans and listeners. So really, really pleased for his question. I'm happily uh, that we finally put him in the podcast here, which is which is great. Now, in terms of the Barca game, um, I think Mascherano should be a definite starter. I'm actually surprised that he hasn't played that much of late, but that is a direct sort of consequence of Untiti being in such great form. But for the Eibar game, I would have thought it's going to be a 4-3-3 again. That's ter- certainly what I would do. I think that if Busquets remains at the heart of the team, which he has to do really, because he's a master at pretty much everything he does, then everyone else will, will fall into position. And I think that a Piquet-Mascherano partnership at the center of defense um, should be should be what happens. I, as I agree with you, Dan. I wouldn't put Vermalen at all from, from the beginning. He hasn't really been making the, the bench lately. So why would you have him starter? So um, Ter Stegen then would be on goal as usual. I would, uh, because we missed him so much, I would put Semedo back in the starting eleven. He made Rakitic's game, or his absence, in, in fact, make Rakitic's game that much more difficult. So Semedo, for me, starts again. I would actually put Dinier back into the team as well. He's made the, the squad, so there is no reason why he wouldn't make the team to start. Obviously, Alba's been in great form, but Alba's game is really physical, and particularly now that he needs to be effectively playing as a winger, I think he's going to need some rest, and playing against Eibar, I think, is, is the great occasion to do that. Then, obviously, as I said, Busquets in the middle. I would partner here up with, I would have Paulinho in the Rakitic position, so on the right interior, and I would include Sergio Roberto as the other side, so the, the left interior more attacking midfielder as well. Um, obviously, we saw that Paulinho is able to run from midfield all the way to the front and even finish. So I think that's going to add another dimension, which is much needed in the Barca midfield. Um, Messi, for me, starts um, according to what Valverde has been doing lately. I would have thought he's going to be a four striker again. Um, Suarez is still to find his ideal position. And, uh, you know, I think because Valverde is trying to build the game ar- around Messi's strengths, and where he plays the best, and that is at the center, then Suarez is going to have to compromise. And and right now, he's playing in a sort of, not as a left winger, because that's in a way Jordi Alba when he zooms past everyone else, 
but trying to sort of partner in the middle with Messi and he's not feeling that comfortable. So I think that is a piece of the puzzle that Valverde needs to be looking at in the near future. And as we spoke about earlier as well, I think De Olufeu should be the starter in the right wing. But, you know, that could also be Dennis. I think they're going to have to share the, the playing time. And I really think that that's going to be, a, that for me would be an ideal scenario moving forward because you need them both to be fit. Because imagine that one of them gets injured now, you know. So I think you need to make them both feel that they are cha- truly challenging for a starting position. And the best bet to do that is to give them playing playing time. But for me, the Olufeu starts this next match based on what we saw in Getafe. So we'll, in a few short hours, see how Valverde puts out his team. And we assume that Lionel Messi will again get the start. And this past week had an anniversary of sorts. Messi arrived in Barcelona 17 years ago as of last week. Since then, 590 games, 515 goals, and 195 assists. It's hard to we quantify how try to quantify how good he is every week, try to come up with new adjectives, but those numbers I think just stand alone, speak for themselves. I'll read them again. 515 goals, 195 assists in 590 games. And uh, again, you we praise him plenty of times, so instead we'll praise the place where he was created, and that is the Academy in Lamasia. And there is some big news as one of our last things in this show to talk about. It seems that Barcelona president Josep Maria Bartomeu is excited about a new venture, and he even had a press conference where Sergi Palencia and Carlos Alenia of the youth team were there, excuse me, of Barcelona B were there, and it's a new stadium for both Barcelona B and the Barcelona women's team, or the Barcelona, or FC Barcelona Femini, and it's called the Johan Cruyff Stadium. It's a, a 6,000 person capacity stadium and it will cost around 19 million euros to build and the and Andres Iniesta was helping out where it was officially launched on this past Thursday for future generations of La Benzia to play and I, I think not only for the youth but I'm excited for the the Barcelona women's team as well as we talked about them about a month ago we're going to continue updating you on them right now they've got six points out of six in the league and they got a three nothing win over Albacete, most recently with Marta Torajon, Andresa Alves, and Mariona Caldente getting the three goals. And they're a team that deserves some spotlight as well. They're one of the better teams in all of the women's game in Europe. So I'm glad that they get a stadium along with the B team to be able to showcase what Barcelona is producing at a higher level. And again, I think the big thing is that could attract young players and the best women as they continue to do around the world to come and play in Catalonia. Yeah, I, I agree. I think also the name that the stadium has, Johan Cruyff, written all over it, that, that is bringing a lot of nostalgia. Um, he is still to this day, I would say, the most influential person in Barca's history. So rightly so, he's got the stadium named after him. A um, little bit of an aside here, I think that in time we will see the Lionel Messi Stadium, but um, I think let's 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 enjoy him while he lasts. But I think that is certainly going to happen someday in the future. But for now, yes, Johan Cruyff Stadium. I, I am a bit sad as well that uh, the mini study is disappearing. Um, obviously, if you've ever been to Barcelona, I'm sure that some of our listeners, if not the vast majority of our listeners, may have been to Barcelona, the Barcelona Stadium area uh, throughout their life. And if not, obviously strongly recommend you visit because it's it's unmissable and it, it's something that you will never forget. Um, so you've got the Camp Nou um, sort of 
towering above everything else. But right next to it, you've got a museo. Then you've got the basketball arena, which is called Palau Laugrana. And then right next to it, there's the mini study, which literally is a mini Cam Nou. It looks exactly like the Cam Nou, but it's just much smaller. The problem is that um, because Barca B are not that popular, and, you know, this is bizarre for people that don't live in Barcelona. Why wouldn't you go and see Barca B if you're a t- season ticket holder, you can actually get in for free because um, it's included in your in, in the money that you pay on a yearly basis. Uh, but, you know, they don't fill the mini study and the women's team certainly don't fill it up either. So I think having a smaller stadium, um, which is 6,000, as you mentioned, would be a right move. Obviously, it's not going to be built in the mini study area, so it's no longer going to be next to the Camp Nou. It's going to be in San Juan das Pi, which is where the Ciudad Esportiva is. That's where Barca first team train. So having the little kids play in there, so all the sort of the kids are playing through the ranks, and the B team and the women's team playing in a venue that you know it's going to pretty much look jam packed every time they play. I think that's certainly the right way forward. But um. A little bit of myself is sad that, you know, such a, a, a little tiny stadium with such history and that looks exactly like the Camp Nou is um, eventually going to be demolished. Obviously, the Spy Barca, which is like a Barca theme park in a way, it won't have rights or anything like that that I'm aware of, but um, it's going to sort of raise the profile of Barca in within the area to FC Barcelona within the area and having sort of bringing it back to the, say, 21st or even 22nd century, um, updating the Wi-Fi and little tiny details like that that um, sort of affect the stadium and make it look a little bit old right now. So bringing everything sort of back to modern times is certainly a good move, but um, a little bit of me will die when the mini study actually gets demolished. But, you know, that's modern times. And I think as a club, it definitely is the right step forward um, in order to bring the club to modernity again. Yeah, as fun as nostalgia is, we've seen with stadiums, particularly in the UK through time, where you have those 60, 80, 100-year-old facilities that things do need to be updated. And just like all those Kool-Aids back when the Camp de la Corte saw this new stadium in 1957 called the Camp No Takeover, it's, uh, to update facilities is always an important part of fan safety, player safety, and for everyone involved, I think it's an exciting new chapter. And you know, of course, that in Catalonia, that those old buildings will be honored properly, and there'll be a, a fa- in the Barcelona Museum, there'll be a fancy little section called the Mini Estadia, and play- and fans will be able to enjoy that forever. And other than that, Frances, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Anything else? Yeah, I just want to give sort of a little tiny update on Benedito. Um, he was tweeting, and he's tweeting in English as well, which I think is quite interesting, because I've heard him trying to speak in English. He's not that great. But um, at least he's making the effort, which which we really do appreciate. Um, he confirmed that he's got 8,000 votes already sort of validated. Um, obviously, he's still not even halfway through to the 16,000, around 500, I think it is, that, that he needs in order for the vote of no confidence to go forward. But, you know, he's got another two weeks, which <laughs> we discussed in the previous podcast um, is unspecified because the club is saying that um, because of the Saturday being a working day or not, uh, they're saying that um, basically that he's got five less days to collect the signatures as he needs. But um, yeah, I think I think it could still happen um, in terms of uh, pushing the vote of no confidence forward. But, you know, Catalan's sources are leaving it quite late in order for that to happen. But I think it could still go ahead. Obviously, 
having the team winning games and having Paulinho scoring winners um, is not going to do um, Benedito any favours. But uh, I think we'll have to wait and see as to what, what is finally decided. But there's still another week and um, we'll be able to update you on, on what's going on much better very soon. Yeah, so that'll wrap it up. We'll talk to you after the Ibar match and to preview the weekend games. And I think while we didn't have time to talk about some of the news that had to do with Coutinho today in terms of showing some remorse, saying how much it weighed on him, as well as some rumors linking Barcelona with Sadio Mane, a 25-year-old winger with three goals in Premier League, also plays for Liverpool. The reason we didn't really get to that and talk about it too much is because, obviously, with the strained relationship between Liverpool and Barcelona, you can't put too much weight, particularly coming from the Daily Mirror, was the report on Mane. So, of course, Barcelona is going to want to have uh, the, the best players in the world. So Mane is having a few good matches and... So, of course, those rumors are, are going to lend itself to happen. But, again, that's in a strange relationship with the two, so I don't see too much stock in that. So I, I think that pretty much wraps it up, Frances. It does, it does. I just want to say thank you to our Patreons for making this episode possible. I'm going to tvpod.link forward slash Patreon. That is tvpod.link forward slash Patreon in order to enable us to bring this show to you. And uh, as you mentioned, Dan, really eager to record again on Thursday so that we can evaluate the Avon match, uh, throw in as many sort of latest news coming up from the Camino as we can and obviously preview in the weekend. So yeah, great, great, great to have so many of you listening and yeah, we're honored. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for listening to the Barcelona podcast. As Frances mentioned, we're trying to bring in the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.